0: 30 on Monday, September 10th, I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, state efforts to support teens during the Suicide Awareness Month.
1: There's a myth out there that asking a person about suicide, asking them if they're thinking about suicide, will make them more likely to complete it, and that is absolutely false. We know that asking about suicide can show a person that you recognize that they're hurting, and then from there you can move toward getting that person some help.
0: Then a potential project that would dredge a portion of the Pearl River is being met with some disagreement. Find out what people are saying. And on Everyday Tech, the ins and outs of online dating. Plus the latest on a charter school case in the state. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Youth Suicide Prevention Week, and Mississippi advocates say they want to end the stigma associated with mental illness. Teresa Mosley calls herself a suicide survivor. She says her 15-year-old daughter Elizabeth took her own life in 2006. Mosley says her daughter struggled with anxiety and depression. She wants other families to know they are not alone. She tells MPB's Desiree Fraser how they can help we have to be willing to talk about the hard things. You know,
2: sometimes people feel like if someone in their family has, uh, you know, mood swings or depression or anxiety, they feel like, you know, that that's embarrassing. Um, They don't want anyone else to know about it. And so that keeps them from seeking help and to be willing to talk and be open about it. And that's what's so good about what's going on right now is People are starting to talk about it and say it's not just mental health. It's just health. We have physical health and we have mental health. If your kid came to you and said, you know, uh, my back is hurting. I think I've got a a kidney infection. You would take them to the doctor. So when your child comes to you and says, you know, I can't handle this anymore. You know, I have all this anxiety or I'm sad all the time to be open to saying, okay, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to get this checked out. You know, um, because sometimes it's, I was watching a video the other night that t- that was comparing mental, mental health to a house being on fire. And, you know, they said if your house was on fire, you'd call 911. But what if calling 911 uh, meant that you were going to be judged or it meant you weren't cool or something like that? Well, we have to treat mental health like that too. We have to put the fire out and not be afraid to go and look for help and to seek
3: help for our kids or for ourselves. Counseling. What about counseling?
2: Definitely. um, I think that, you know, medication is not an answer in and of itself, uh, but a a kid needs to be able to go and talk to someone that they feel safe with. Uh, Kids can't always talk to their parents, um, but if you can find someone who's trained, parents don't always know what to say. If a child were to say, you know, I'm thinking about taking my own life, then, you know, they may not be prepared to deal with that. So counseling with someone who is trained, you know, to help that child work through things and develop some coping skills is just, uh, you know, a win-win situation.
3: And you're talking about your story really helps a lot, too, and it uh, helps parents to be able to feel like they can talk about it. And I'm sure parents come to you with questions. They do, yeah.
2: They do. Um, And that's a hard thing because it's been 12 years since Elizabeth is gone. Okay. And I have some have met people and talked to people where it is fresh and they can't see that there's, you know, any future ahead, that they're always going to feel this way. And I mean, every day I think about Elizabeth and I grieve for Elizabeth, but for me, therapy did not work. I had to be able to share her story so that I was feeling like her life was not taken in vain and being able to share and say, look, this is what we need to do. Take your pain and work it into something that can help
0: somebody else.
3: Well, Teresa Mosley, thank you so much for your willingness to share.
0: Well, thank you so much. In Mississippi, suicide is the third leading cause of death among 15 to 24-year-olds. The State Department of Mental Health has resources for families in need of help. Molly Portera is director of the Division of Outreach and Training at DMH. She tells our Desiree Fraser more.
1: We know that there was a 17% increase in, in our state in deaths by suicide from 1999 to 2016.
4: And while the rate of
1: suicide in the U.S. increased by 25 percent in that same time period, Mississippi falls below the national average.
3: We're below the national average, which is a good thing.
1: It is a good thing that we're below the national average, but we know that we have a lot of work to do, um, and we never should, should stop our efforts around suicide prevention.
3: What do you find are some of the leading causes of young people deciding to take their own life?
1: There are multiple risk factors. There's multiple warning signs. Um, you know, when a person has uh, maybe had a history of depression or, in, or other mental illness, um, possibly uh, trauma in, in their lives, uh, feeling alone, um, or a, his, a family history of suicide or violence, those type of things can lead a person um, to consider suicide as an option.
3: So what can the State Department of Mental Health do to help folks?
1: Well, what we are doing is um, we established a work group in 2016 that's um, made up of uh, state, other state agencies, family members of people um, who have died by suicide, uh, school districts, lots of people have come together to talk about the issue of suicide and really bring together what the state's already doing and putting it in a plan, but also sets a series of uh, goals and objectives for us to to um, work on over uh, the course of three years. And so one of the things that we are really proud of is the passage of House Bill 263 in the 2017 legislative session. And it required that all school district employees, so that means from bus drivers all the way up to superintendents, had to receive two hours of suicide prevention training in the 2017-2018 school year. Um, And as of this summer... 63,057 school district employees um, have been trained in suicide prevention in our state. So we are very proud of that and know that it means that more and more people are becoming aware of what to look for in kids as far as warning signs and then what to do to help a child who may be thinking about suicide.
3: What are the warning signs? What are you telling parents and teachers to look for? Yeah, so some of the warning
1: signs um to look for are withdrawing um from activities or friends that that a, that a child might normally hang out with or things a child might do. Um any that a child is talking or or writing about suicide, we have to take that seriously. Um You know, uh, one thing to consider is that um, young adults will often give some verbal clues. So they may say things like, you'll be better off without me, or pretty soon you won't have to worry about me. Um, Those are things that we have to take seriously, and we need to kind of take a second look at. Um, There's a myth out there that asking a person about suicide, asking them if they're thinking about suicide, will make them more likely to complete it, and that is absolutely false. We know that asking about suicide can show a person that you recognize that they're hurting and that you care. And then from there, you can move toward getting that person some help.
0: Department of Mental Health Division Director Molly Portera. September is Suicide Prevention Month. In other news, the deadline for public comments about a plan to prevent flooding in the Jackson metro area has ended. The One Lake project would dredge the Pro River near the Ross Barnett Reservoir Dam and include commercial development. The Rankin-Hines Pro River Flood and Drainage Control District sponsored the project. Andrew Whitehurst with the Gulf Restoration Network tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the plan would destroy more than 1,000 acres of wetlands.
5: The question of whether This really helps all the flooding that Jackson has now because the uh, urban creeks would have water in them permanently in their lower sections,
4: and we wonder
5: whether flooding the lower sections of those creeks would really help with street flooding in Jackson. There's the massive removal of wildlife habitat from removal of all those forests and filling the floodplain. There's damage to the habitats for two endangered species. We're concerned that the the business plan for this project depends on the building of new dry land to develop as real estate. When you do that in the name of flood control, you raise a lot of questions about whether you're placing new development in the floodplain that's even more at risk for flooding than it is now. And so those are some of the concerns of the project site itself. And then downstream concerns are to do with the amount of water that leaves the project, especially in the low flow months of the year.
3: What would be the answer in your mind to getting uh, this resolved?
5: Other alternatives that don't further impound the river are available and were discussed in the draft environmental impact statement. There could be some sort of a hybrid uh, alternative where they could not involve further impounding the river.
0: Whitehurst says comments from environmental groups and state agencies will be included in a final environmental impact statement. A decision is expected by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers in 2019. Coming up, the latest on a charter school's case. That's after everyday tech. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with the Wilt's Couture, and today we're discussing online dating. Has technology gotten in the way of romance or made it better? So, Wilt's, meeting someone used to be a unique experience in itself, but now it seems like that has been lost in favor of choice, time, and convenience.
6: Yeah, definitely. We've really seen an influx of dating apps and dating websites and a lot of different options out there trying to bring people together uh beyond what some of us may consider the old school ways of doing things i know back whenever my wife and i met some number of years ago that i won't admit to we were actually introduced by my best friend and she worked at the hospital where he worked at and just kind of happened to come across each other and sparks flew and you know the rest is pretty much history 20 years later but now we've got sites such as your Christian Mingle and FarmersOnly.com dot com and City Folks and and these others that are actually trying to bring together people and highlight them based on interests and what they're looking for and what they the qualities they're looking for in a potential mate. So we're really seeing it take more of a scientific approach in trying to bring people together across these vast distances. And now you hear about people who are meeting their potential mate that may live on the other side of the country or even on the other side of the world.
4: So what are some precautions when using online dating services?
6: Well, the first safety thing that comes into mind is we have to realize is that no matter what our age is, if we're talking about online meeting someone, whether it's for friends, whether it's for a first date or any of that, We've got to think about the fact that people are still strangers. Um, you know, there was a little bit of a safety net that came into play whenever you were being introduced to so-and-so's friend or so-and-so's coworker or so-and-so's cousin. Uh, but now you're potentially meeting someone that you really don't know much about. So I've usually advised folks that if you're going to do that type of thing You know, maybe consider those first few dates, those first few encounters to be more of a group encounter. Maybe it's going to be, you know, a double date, a triple date. Have some other people along, whether you're male or female. This doesn't just, you know, lean to one side of things. So so make sure you have that safety net. Meet in a good public place. Um, And I would also highly advise, don't necessarily reveal your physical home location. You know, and I'm not saying this to say distrust people, but just remember that online people can pretend to be something that they're not. You know, with dating moving into the online world, you almost have to start looking at it like a commodity in some regards. Just like before you were going to buy a product, say, from an online retailer, you're going to sit there and you're going to check reviews and you're going to find out what other people are talking about and what other people's opinions are of it and use that to evaluate – We've really almost got to start doing that now with the people that we meet online and really utilize that resource there to give you some insight into what it is you're getting into. Uh, And while we're at it, think about that with online. Look more into them. If they have a social media presence, look who some of their friends are and – you know, if you have friends in common, there's nothing wrong with reaching out and asking someone. But also remember that just because you have friends in common, there's nothing wrong with checking up on someone. I mean, at the end of the day, the safety is your responsibility. So, you know, take, take a little bit of action with that and make sure you're doing the right thing.
4: There's so many different online dating sites out there. How do you choose? Well, there definitely
6: are. And I think what you really need to think about... And this is the same with any app you're dealing with, whether it's a dating app or anything else. you got to choose with the end game in mind. What are you looking for? If you're looking for particular qualities in a potential friend or relationship, you don't need to go into apps that are not going to be able to help you to find that.
4: So, Wilts, do you think technology is getting in the way of real romance? Well, Michelle, I really
6: do not believe that it is. I believe that it's opening up the door to actually locate and find people to a larger audience. So, yes, these new apps and these new websites and these this new twist on the love connection game really can lead to real romance. But it also is going to lead to real work to real commitment, to real honesty, in order to have your happily ever after.
4: We will talk more about online dating on Everyday Tech, the show that comes on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. For Wilt's Couture, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A legal advocacy organization is asking the Mississippi Supreme Court to declare public funding of charter schools unconstitutional in the state. The Education Law Center says charter schools take money away from school districts, even though districts don't have any say in the charter school authorization process. David Sierra is executive director, and he tells us more.
7: Well, the Mississippi Constitution is clear uh, in giving local school districts the authority to levy property taxes to raise local revenue for their schools, but it also says that that revenue is raised for the district schools. So the issue here is um, in authorizing the charter school uh, program, the legislature directed districts to pay their local taxes that they raise for their schools to charter schools. And charter schools are uh, by definition in the law, in the charter school law, not district schools. So essentially what this does is it removes or transfers funding that local taxpayers um, have decided to tax themselves and raise for their local schools, expecting that they would go to their local schools, forcing the district to transfer those funds out of their schools to charter schools. So that's really the issue, the legal issue before the court. The other side of this, though, is that the charter school program is getting underway in Mississippi. The amount of local tax revenue that's being diverted from the Jackson public schools, which is the subject of the case, has risen to about $3 million this year. And as charter schools grow and expand, as the state authority that authorizes charter schools, local districts have no involvement in that. As the state approves more charter schools, uh, more local money will be coming out of school district budgets, not just in Jackson, but in Clarksdale and other districts, Um, What that does is really undermines the district budget, too. These are districts that are underfunded by the state. As you know, uh, Mississippi's funding formula, the state has has not fully funded it for many years. Uh, The Jackson Public Schools are about $18 million in the hole this year money that they should have gotten from the state, but they didn't. For a second. It's a combination of those things that causes the problem.
0: What is the difference between a charter school, a public school, and a district public school?
7: Well, a charter school is authorized by the state and controlled by the state charter authorizing board. So it's governed, financed, controlled, regulated, not by the local school district. The local school district has its own schools and runs its own schools. It manages them. It governs them. It decides all the issues how they're run and so forth and so on. So there's direct local control by the local district and the local school board that's elected to run the district schools. Charter schools are not. They're controlled by the state and run by the state. The problem here is not whether Mississippi should have charter schools or not. That's not the issue. The issue is the method of funding conflicts with the Constitution The Constitution only allows for local property taxes to be raised by districts, and it's very clear that that tax revenue is to go to the district schools. The state wants to set up charter schools and wants to fully fund them themselves That's up to the state. But what they cannot do and what the issue before the court is, is they cannot force the districts to take property tax revenue, which local taxpayers are paying into that district for the purpose of educating children in their schools, and force the district to send it to essentially state-run and controlled
0: schools. Have you filed specifically for the Jackson Public School District?
7: Yes. Well, the case involves the Jackson Public School District. The Clarksdale School District has also filed papers supporting the Jackson's position. So the issue really, although it's before the court involving the Jackson Public Schools, the court's decision will have the, it will obviously affect the way charter schools are financed across the state. So it'll have implications for for, uh, the financing of charter schools, not just in Jackson, but elsewhere.
0: What's happened with the case since it was filed?
7: Well, it's now before the Supreme Court, it, it, it was the arguments, um, the trial court disagreed with the plaintiffs and said that it was okay. Uh, it's now up in front of the Supreme Court, and so the Supreme Court is going to have to make a decision. You know, there's briefing going on now. It'll be argued, and the Supreme Court will make a decision. Um, the, the one thing I do want to stress, though, is that is that, you know, the problem here is, isn't just a legal one. It's a practical one that affects the kids in Jackson Public Schools because as that money goes out of their budget, there's less resources available to provide the teachers, support staff, all the things that's needed in the Jackson Public Schools and that problem is compounded because the state is underfunding the Jackson School District and school districts across the state to begin with.
0: David, is the Education Law Center filing similar cases in other states around the country?
7: Yes, we have. I mean, we've been and not not just in this type of case, but also in around the issue of public school funding. Uh, we're, you know, have a lot of expertise in that. So, in a lot of these cases that are coming up that it, implicate the way public schools are funded and the failure of states to adequately invest in their public schools so that children have the resources that they need. This is really not about dollars. At the end of the day, it's about whether in the Jackson public schools there's going to be a sufficient uh, teaching staff of, uh, of qualified teachers, there's going to be enough support staff, class sizes are going to be reasonable. In other words, is the is the funding there to make sure that the resources are the schools are well resourced to give every single child in jackson and you know really across the state of mississippi Uh, the opportunity that they need to meet the standards that the state says they should meet.
0: Are other specific districts also taking money, ad valorem taxes, and applying them to charter schools?
7: Well, it's a little bit different in each state because charter school laws vary from state to state, and not every state allows charter schools either, but the states that do the way they're financed is different. One thing that we did point out in our brief to to the court, to the Mississippi Supreme Court, is there's beginning to be a, a body of research looking at how, when charter schools grow, that's really the issue. When the state allows them to expand uh, and grow in enrollment, there's a growing body of research from North Carolina, from Pennsylvania, from New York, and from, and from uh, other states that's beginning to show that what that does is it has a negative f- fiscal impact on the district schools. It isn't co- cost-neutral the end of the day the district has fixed costs. it has to educate all the kids that come in it districts often educate more kids with special needs kids with disabilities english language learners kids who are low income they tend to be more in the uh, remain in the district schools those are more costly to educate so there is a there is a body of research coming in from other states that show that when charter schools are allowed to grow Uh, the loss of funding begins to erode the opportunities for kids that remain in district schools.
0: If you don't prevail with the state Supreme Court, are you prepared to file with the U.S. Supreme Court?
7: No, this is strictly a matter of state law. There is no federal law issue. I mean, this will be decisive. If the court says no, then the legislature is going to have to go back to the drawing board.
0: David Chiera is the executive director of the Education Law Center. David, thank you so much.
7: It's my pleasure.
0: Supporters of charter schools say families in struggling districts deserve another option for their students. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.
1: MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org.